0: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Immigration continues to be a major issue for the Irish electorate. Coming up, we look at the impact it's having on politics, polls, and the population. Plus, claire brock sits down with the former secretary general of the european commission catherine day to discuss the government's approach to immigration
2: i think the irish people have to understand that the only people who can come here and get permission to stay are people we have decided uh, get permission to stay
1: Joe biden blames iran-backed militants as three u.s soldiers are killed in drone attacks at a base in Jordan. How will they respond? We'll bring you the very latest. The poll has revealed that Sinn Féin has seen its largest slump in support since the general election in 2020, although the party still remains the country's most popular. Some have speculated that the party's stance on immigration could have contributed to its drop in support. Meanwhile, immigration continues to dominate the public discourse, with a new Irish Times poll measuring public sentiment, placing it as the top issue capturing voters' attention over the past month. Well, join me to discuss this further – Isabella Senator, Regina Doherty, editor of Gripped Media, John McGurk, journalist Alison O'Connor, professor of politics at the School of Law and Government at DCU, Gary Murphy. And down the line is political editor of the Irish Times, Pat Leahy. You're all very welcome to the programme. Pat, I'm going to come to you because we said at the top of the programme, this is an issue that is affecting polls, it's affecting politics, and it is certainly affecting the population. And your poll out today would suggest that this is something that is very much to the forefront of the minds of the electorate at the minute.
3: Yeah, I mean, I should be clear from the outset that what we're doing with this is a new type of research distinct from the regular political polls Uh, that we run and that many of your viewers, I guess, would be familiar with. And what we're trying to do is just measure what is top of mind for voters and respondents to the poll uh, in a given month. I mean, I guess, you know, we're talking about politics all day, every day in Leinster House, but we've got to be honest with ourselves that very few voters are as obsessed with politics as politicians and political journalists are. And I think that, you know, sometimes we can be a little too obsessed with what's going on in Leinster House. So what this attempts to do is to ask voters a very simple question. What is the thing they have noticed in the last month that makes them think about the government and whether the country is going in the right or wrong direction? And what we've seen in the results that we reported today, which results uh, from a wave of research that we did in January, is that immigration issues have shot up the list of uh, of things we've been running this in the background or rather Ipsos b and a have been running this for us in the background since last summer and we've seen at that stage that immigration issues have risen from five six seven percent in Autumn and so last summer and autumn right up to twenty four percent today, topping even housing as the uh, as the issue that people have noticed in the last month that makes them think about the country going in the right or the wrong direction.
1: And do we get any sense from the research that you've done, Pat, whether or not people think the government is going in the right or the wrong direction when it comes to this issue?
3: Yeah. So, what the research does is it asks people for their uh, the, the their first impression. Uh, on these things, and we then or Ipsos on our behalf then logs the comments and uh, and sorts them all. And on immigration, it's overwhelmingly they say the country is going in the wrong direction. Now there is a substantial minority of voters when you go through their responses think that uh, think that the government is handling the situation well and are in favour of uh, of current immigration policy. But um, uh, but the overwhelming response the overwhelming breakdown. Of the uh, of the responses was negative. About three quarters of them were uh, were were negative. A little bit more than than three quarters, and uh, and that I think sends a message to the government. Not necessarily, you know, that people are uh, at least to read this research correctly. I think you wouldn't necessarily extrapolate that people are against immigration per se. Although some of them undoubtedly are. What they are commenting on, I think, is the application of immigration policy at the moment. And in the verbatims, in the, uh, uh, once you go through them, in the, uh, the comments that respondents to this research uh, made, again and again, you see coming up the shortage of housing, the pressure on local services, and that. It's very clear that a lot of the opposition to uh, to the sighting of, uh, of of numbers of immigrants in local communities is related to concerns about the pressure on services and particularly on uh, on housing.
1: All right, let me just uh, go to my panel panel here, Alison. I'll start with you because Pat said, "Look, it's clearly the top of the mind of um, the population right now, the public." But it's top of the mind, probably, of politicians, too, given the fact that we're looking at the the polling over the weekend. And you could hear Helen McEntee out on radio yesterday, the Justice Minister, using language like crackdown Mm. uh, when she's talking about international protection applicants. And we see this evening an announcement, um, the Irish Independent running it, that this list of countries of safe origins is going to be extended to include Algeria and Botswana, Algeria being one of the top five countries where people sought asylum Mm. in Ireland Is that, do you think, a reflection, a change in tone here from the government as they read these polls?
4: Oh, I mean, completely. I think we're and I think that gets to the heart of so much of it. We're seeing changes of tone everywhere. And um, I think you can say that the government remains on the back foot and is trying to is trying to catch up now. Uh, But yet, as we see, as we saw, as Pat was just outlining there and the results of that, uh, that research carried out for the Irish Times, Um, It's on something that has really captured people's imagination. And I think that if you're looking at that and at at, at those results, I think it's that it's the lack of what people feel is the lack of communication for the government. It gets to the heart of people's fear about home place and that services security, but also the extent of the media coverage that there's been, you know, even that we're, we're having this discussion now. But it doesn't just—it's not—it's interesting, very interesting to watch the political landscape, and this has all seemed to happen so quickly. It's—it's it's, everybody is is grappling with it. So it's the government, it's Sinn Fein who are under huge pressure. I think there was, was Sinn Fein had been invited to come on the panel this evening, and uh, and are not here. And I think you could say that reflects that they're at sixes and sevens. I heard the party leader being interviewed on uh, the news at one today on RTE. And you could you could you can sense the discomfort that they have going on, and they're There's not quite se- sure to be what clear, to do. Just
1: um, to be clear, we did invite Sinn Féin to come and join us on the program because we are going to be discussing their slide in the polls, and that was significant. If you look at that Sunday yeah. Business Post poll yesterday in the front page, Sinn Féin in crisis, a seven point slide yeah. since October, but a trend and, I suppose, yeah, And obviously, suppose, isn't it? just to finish, and obviously then
4: the fact that we are we have elections coming, we have local and European elections, and so the prospect of a general election just puts a huge amount of fright amongst all of the politicians, be they government, um, Mm. Regina will be able to speak more personally to that, be they government or
1: be they they opposition. Well, to come to you, Regina, because the question being asked in the Sunday Business Post yesterday was, has Ireland taken in too many refugees and 66% of the voters said yes? Are the government at odds with ordinary people on this issue?
5: So I think, to be fair, um, and I somewhat agree with what Alison has said, um, we are a little bit on the back foot. um, But any government that doesn't respond to the concerns of its people would be a very unwise government. And so I think what you've seen over the last couple of weeks um, is a a genuine response to explain to people what the system is, what the rules are, how they're followed, where it's fair, where it's proportionate, and, uh, from my perspective, where it's not. So it's certainly not a perfect system. And when we tell people, you know, that... Uh, X amount of people get deportations, um, I think it's very unfair for us to leave that hanging because then it can be unravelled. We need to be honest with people to say why the deportation system is as it is, why we're confident that the vast majority of people
1: actually do. So we need to have this conversation. And so about, if you were asked that question yesterday, has Ireland taken in too many refugees, would you have agreed with the 58% of Fine Gael voters who said yes I, or not? I probably wouldn't, um, and not to be controversial. I mean, we have
5: an obligation, whether it's a legal obligation or a moral obligation, to help those that are less fortunate than ourselves. And the people that are coming here, that are allowed to stay here, do have a basis to prove that they're less fortunate than we are as a state, and we need to help them. But we absolutely need to be able to say to people, those people who are not, um, uh, you know, able to to stay here for uh, legal reasons are and have to be sent back to the countries of origin, or sent to another country so that they can try, you know, their arm, at, you know, a protection system in, in that country. And I'm not sure but, we're but, but 100% think, there think, yet to be able to prove to people that the system, whilst it's fair, the system also has to be firm. And I think we need to show and be able to prove to people that the system is firm but it's to give confidence in what we're saying.
1: The, the question yesterday wasn't, is the system fair or is it firm? The question was, have there been too many? This is a capacity, this is a numbers issue. And people said, yes. Too many. So you can communicate all you want. Yeah. If people feel there are just too many, then the government of is at odds so, with 58% of its voters, so according we... to this poll. And it is just a poll.
5: OK, and I'm not saying that that's not what the poll is saying. What I'm saying is, is that when you look at what happened, particularly in the last 18 months to 24 months, we've received an enormous amount of Ukrainians and rightly so because they needed our help. But I think it was logical for us to change the terms and conditions, you know, for new Ukrainians arriving. And you can see the drastic response in the last couple of weeks as to how that's changed people presenting. I think when you look at when Helen McEntee changes the list of safe countries, and that's not to say people from the safe country list can't come and apply for asylum, but they get dealt with within 10 weeks and they either get allowed to stay because they're genuine or they get returned because they don't have a right to stay here. And I think increasing the safety list, the safe country list, will get those people dealt with faster because at the moment, as you say, the amount of people from Algeria, that are coming are not getting fast-tracked in the 10-week process they are ending up staying here for a lot longer and then obviously acquire uh, working rights after five or six months so we just need to make sure that when we say the system is fair that we can back that up and say it is fair when we're saying we're firm you absolutely need to be able to say this is how we're showing
1: you it's firm because otherwise people don't believe us and to be fair you know okay and john mcgurk you're one of the people who will come on and say i don't believe the government i don't believe this is a firm or a fair system
0: Well, I'm fascinated by what happened in Algeria yesterday. Do you know what happened in Algeria yesterday? No, I'm wondering, I'm asking the question, because all of a sudden it was a safe country, and now it's not. So it wasn't a safe country, and now it is. Why is the government suddenly... What what happened in Algeria yesterday to make the government decide Mm -hmm. that Algeria is suddenly a safe place for people to come from? I think this goes to the the key um, issue here, which is people don't have confidence in this system. I was saying to a researcher before I came on earlier on that one topic that gets brought up with me almost anytime people talk about immigration, is this business of self-deportation. That we have a policy in this country where it's the only, it's the only system that I'm aware of in the justice system where the court requires the person who's guilty of the offence, it's not an offence technically to be here illegally, but th- th- who's been told to do something to do it themselves. If a, if a district court judge gives you community service, there will be measures taken and put in place to make sure you carry okay, out that So you don't agree with the idea state. of
1: voluntary uh, deportation? I, 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 I you my, think if somebody is given a deportation... I think it drives
0: people demented. I think if, you, if you're told that you don't have a right to stay in the country, then the first duty of any government is the security of the state and to make sure the people who are here should be here. Regina, Those people should be removed, removed a, not asked it's to remove themselves. a fair themselves.
5: point, and it's a point I think that we need to explain better. So the vast majority of countries don't... Deport uh, along the lines of what, of what John's talking about. And you only have to look at um, the Rwanda situation in the United Kingdom. The vast majority of countries do allow people to self-deport. And the reason we know that in most cases, and it's true to say that we can't possibly say in all cases, but the reason we know in most cases is because, first of
1: all, all of the supports are cut
5: off and we see no activity... You don't
1: actually know. I think that's the point that's been made. We don't know. There's an assumption made. No, so
5: just, just let me finish it for one second. We know that they're no longer receiving any financial accommodation, food from the Irish state at that stage. We also can see no activity on their PPS number. So in all likelihood, we can guarantee that people have left. But I can't say that, and John is right, I can't say that 100%, but no country can. But what we can absolutely okay, say like John is that people that? are not receiving any more state aid. They don't get accommodation, food. They certainly don't get money. And they also don't and aren't okay. allowed work in our, our system without so any So the point is it PPS becomes stuff. almost
1: impossible for an individual to, 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 to live and survive in Ireland. You've no PPS number. You have been given a deportation order. You will not want to engage with any uh, entity of the state. You won't want to go to the hospital. You can't go to the guards. You can't go to a GP. You are you're a stateless. You will leave the country. You don't accept that?
0: I, I don't. I, I know for fact it's not true in all cases. There have been at least three cases I'm aware of in the last year where somebody, somebody was remained in the country for a significant period of time after they were told to leave. Um, and besides, I think even on principle, the idea that it's up to you to enforce an order against yourself. I mean, you wouldn't do that with TV licences. You wouldn't tell on post. You mean you still haven't told people they can pay the TV license if they want? Well,
1: you like. want them. You want to want the guards to go up to the door and yes. knock on somebody's and lift basic, them? Basically, by the hand of if you're not supposed to be in plane, the country, you have been
0: told you don't have a right to be in the country, so you should be removed from the country. I think that's logical for most people. But there's another point beyond the self-deportations, which is about something. This change in tone, because when I was on this program two or three weeks ago, I was told repeatedly by Neil Richmond, your colleague, Regina, that Ireland had unshakable legal and moral obligations in this area, and that the policy couldn't be changing. Mm. I, I think that's been exposed more and more as a line that no longer holds up. Because if our moral obligations are unshakable, then why are you cutting the funding for Ukrainian people coming here? Why why are you taking that measure of all of a sudden, if our moral obligations are constant, then you're you're basically...
4: In in what circumstances do you... you, Sorry, that's taking a different... um, You're talking about our moral obligations under international international law. When Russia invaded Ukraine, we said as a country that we wanted to take to give um, accommodation and shelter to those people. But I am, I must say, John, I, I'm kind of a little fascinated in some ways at your, your moderation this evening. Like I mentioned in, in my earlier contribution about how insecure people are feeling and, and fearful about, about this level of emigration. And I think they're not at all helped by... Um, People who, if you like, are trying to whip that up and I think in many ways feel that their moment has come. I mean, I was looking, I look at, uh, you know, I would admire anyone who starts a, a new publication, a new, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. But I mean, there's so much dog whistling on gripped that you'd get straight automatic entry to Crofts with a gold medal. Do you know what I mean? You look. You look at all the analysis, the news, everything is... Essentially, saying Can you give me an immigrants. D- yeah, I'm looking at. I'm looking at the, Some of the headlines today. It's uh, almost half a billion euro paid in asylums. I'm also talking. Is, is that incorrect? No, but I'm also. So talk- why is it the dog No, no. It's in. You could actually call the. You could call simply call your website. Immigrants be fearful. I'm talking about oh, the concentration. A no, no. Hang on a second. The concentration. No, I'm not going to listen. to this. Listen. Mean... No, 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 uh, 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 just uh, and the volume. So if you if if you were if I had had the time. Uh, and perhaps this is something I will do, uh, or that it'd be interesting for a journalism student to do, to look every day at the number of pieces, news pieces, opinion pieces, that concentrate simply on asylum and immigration and that they're couched in a fearful way. There was even a piece on vulture funds okay, that managed let's... to mention that one of the firms is involved in this big uh, accommodation for asylum seekers in okay. Boston. Is, is that untrue? Also so talking so about, to, to, time to, to, to talk frankly about here, the dangers posed by... It's, it's all fear. Wedge issues, okay. trying to drive wedges. Yeah, Alison, if we just let John respond to that. And I, I do
0: want to respond because it's quite important because I was accused of dog whistling and then Alison mentioned, I think you mentioned three stories. I've asked her, are right. any of them... I can go on.
1: I can go on Are, 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 are go any of on if are any like any like them, them untrue? Do you no, find no, any factual no, but that, errors? that wasn't yeah. the point, in fairness, That wasn't what She was making So it's it, it comes the back... Volume, the volume, it's about how things are presented. Tone. It's about how
4: it's presented to people. It comes, back, people to it comes people.
0: back to the exact discussion I had the last time I was on this programme with you, Kira, which is the idea that certain news shouldn't be reported and should only be reported in certain ways because if people hear it, they might have the wrong response. I don't think that's what Alison's saying,
1: in fairness. She's just saying the volume and the concentration on one issue on a website we suggest She's yeah, saying we,
0: we covered immigration more than any other issue today. That also happens to be what the opinion okay. poll says people are more concerned about than any other issue. And, I mean, and if we're going to talk about dog whistling, you want to know why we're in this position? It is because of, and I've read your columns, Alice, over the last couple of years, and I've read a lot of other people's columns over the last couple of years, it has been this constant drumbeat that anyone who's concerned about this is some kind of far-right lunatic extremist. And all of a sudden you find... So, John, may all of a I sudden, you I, no I ask you to
4: give me an example? Do I get the have same you, kind of
0: protection that she got... When she was okay, making can, the point. can
4: I have an example? Do, you asked uh, me for examples, have, examples and I gave them to you. How many examples
0: have you had so far,
1: actually, John, Sorry, to respond yeah, said, to her? In fairness, you, you have. Me so that I allegation I that we're not being fair is actually unwarranted.
0: I think the point here is people have had enough of being told that they are far right and extremists for having these concerns. That now 66 percent of the public say we've taken in too many migrants, and I'm being sat here being told. That in some way, Are my, being my told, music... sorry,
1: I'm just wondering who, who's calling these people that you talk about far right and extremists? I've mentioned this poll that has 66% the last of time people. Was on this sorry, you, John, we I can we i have been to right that 66% extremists. of Irish people say too many uh, refugees have been allowed into the country. I asked Regina about it, I've asked Pat about it, and I've asked Alison. I never for one moment suggested that they were far right arrested. And I, I actually talk about ordinary did. voters.
0: I'm going to talk about ordinary voters because the first protest of immigration in this country. That really took off was the East Wall protest in about November of 2022. Uh, and that ran for a couple of weeks. And the, the headlines in the newspapers and the political commentary on shows like this was that those people are far right. They're being whipped up by extremists. Their concerns aren't legitimate. They're, they're engaged because in racism. Because there
1: races. was a far right element to that. I think that was accepted. Can I just say uh, no, that? Accepted, by, a accepted
0: by who? But I I, and now we're sitting here this evening Sorry, John, and can we can you have you opinion polling from Pat questions. Lee. He's saying, oh, actually, they're concerned about in resources. In what circumstances
1: and do you think somebody should be allowed to seek asylum in this country?
0: I think somebody should be allowed to seek asylum in this country if they can demonstrate clearly that they're fleeing war, persecution, potential torture, anything like that. OK, and is that not... Um, as far uh, as I'm concerned,
1: that that's what the rules are in this country. Yes, but aren't here's, they the,
0: here's the issue. In Austria, which is a European Union... But Union's, is that
1: not the rules system we have in this I'm country? answering the
0: question by telling you why our system is different from other countries. In Austria, which has the exact same obligations under international law as Ireland does, 50% of asylum applicants are rejected. 50%, one in every two. Regina, do you know what the equivalent figure is in Ireland?
5: Yeah, we accept
0: more. How many more? Yeah, do you tell the audience? Probably
5: a considerable amount more. But does that not tell you that the Irish people in the Irish system is far more compassionate? And I have to tell you, if you're going to lump us in with Hungary... Well, I, 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 probably,
0: probably, I, I didn't. I, it was Austria. It was Austria. I wouldn't like to be... It was Austria, it was Austria. It was Austria not Hungary. We do accept many more. So, are, so is your position then that people coming to uh to Ireland okay. are just inherently more honest than people going to Austria. No, Why is our system uh, more lenient?
5: No, our system is a fair system and people get a fair hearing. Is the Austrian clearly, system sorry, unfair? John, I just want to go to Gary different. Murphy
1: here who hasn't had an opportunity uh, to speak. Gary, Fine Gael voters, you can see from that poll, and indeed it would suggest Fianna Fáil voters, are unlikely to be as concerned about immigration as Sinn Féin voters are. That's correct, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. Um, Why is this?
6: Well, I'm not exactly sure, and I don't think Sinn Féin are very sure either, but I think the problem with Sinn Féin's vote, I've I've said this for a long time, I think it's relatively soft and has been soft ever since uh, 2011. And this immigration issue now that has come to the fore has uh, perhaps spooked both members of the party uh, at leadership level, at local level, where some... Uh, some of its members have uh, not towed the party line. No, I think the Sinn Féin view on immigration has changed at least three times in the past couple of, uh, of weeks. But I think the more fundamental problem, Kieran, we've seen an example of it here tonight, is that no one really knows what the rules are. And the rules keep changing. I mean, if I, I would guess that 95% of the viewers tonight don't know what the immigration rules are, don't know the difference between international protection, refugees, asylum seekers, and, you know, and I'm not sure we should just be saying just because Austria takes the uh, ports one and two or doesn't leave them in, uh, that we we, we should be exactly uh, the same. We should do what's right uh, for us. Now, I, I do think it's reasonable to suggest um, that self-de- self-deportation is, is sort of farcical. I mean, if someone's making the effort to come here, no matter how they get here, the idea that they will then sort of leave. Mm-hmm. And now, as to John's point of what happened in Algeria yesterday, I presume people just got on with their lives, and many people feel that their life there isn't probably worth living as it is, and they uh, they seek... Um, uh, see, see, see see somewhere just behind. let Gary finish here. So. Okay. My, my
0: only point there was why the government's policy in Ireland changed in relation to... Well, no, I, why, I disagree, why... be, yeah.
6: that, and that goes to my point. So I think I government policy point? on immigration, and, you know, I think is right, government policy on immigration changed, obviously, overnight uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine uh, on the 24th of February, two years ago. Um, and, you know, and government has been playing catch-up uh, ever since, and, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to suggest that um, those who are worried about immigration are not far right, uh, but have concerns, either fear of the outsider is a natural human mm. uh, condition, mm. that's not the Say it's right, but and these are issues now that for all parties, including the um, uh, the main opposition party, Sinn Féin, uh, are grappling. And I think a big problem, just to finish, Kira, is that we haven't had a whole of government. Uh, approach. Everything has been lumbered on to the Minister for Integration, Roger O'Gorman, uh, who, as you know, seems to have enough of this play, you know, has to get this referendum uh, passed. And I, I don't think we have had, it, we have had a unitary approach uh, from the government, and that's a, a sad indictment on it.
1: Uh, in terms of that uh, Sinn Féin vote, what was very interesting in the poll yesterday was.
3: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
1: Two things I think that the, the younger vote was so strong that seems to be they seem to be losing. Some of those votes were going to the Social Democrats, and some of those votes suggested were going to independence, which shows, I think, the real fragmentation of the vote within Sinn Féin, doesn't it?
6: But but not just within Sinn Féin. I think all across the the political system, there is a volatility. The old days of sort of tribal loyalty ended with the economic crash of, you know, uh, 15 years ago, uh, two decades ago now, uh, nearly. Uh, And young people are far more casual with their vote than perhaps uh, people of my generation and beyond. And yet it uh, doesn't, if you
1: look at the polls, it doesn't seem to be damaging
6: Fine Gael and Fianna
1: Fáil, this issue I wonder, as much. I,
6: I wonder is the fact that Fine Gael and, Le, or Fine, yeah, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are at their sort of... Yeah. The 20% uh, that Fine Gael have been at for the last four years, the 17 to 18 of Fine I mean, I think they would vote green or blue... You Number know, come hell or high water, where I think younger okay. voters are much more... Uh, yeah, always OK, cautious, just, uh, Alison, yeah.
4: let
1: you in there briefly and then we have to take a
4: short Even as, break. Even as Gary has said, if you consider that, like Holly says the Social Democrats, have really gone out there on a limb on, on immigration and that, you know, in a, in, a, in a positive way. And yet a lot of the, the rural independents very, very much different. And we saw that even in Ross Grey. So it is difficult to come up with the logic. And I think it's going to be very difficult in the next few weeks and months ahead of these elections is not just at county councillor level, But at TD level, and even at ministerial level, level, whether the line will be, the political line will be held, the government's line, whether they'll be able to hold that discipline.
1: All right, OK. Do stay with us because we will be discussing uh, this issue in a lot more detail after the break. My thanks to uh, Pat Leahy for joining me and bringing us through that Irish Times poll. Up next, more from our panel and a former European Commission Secretary-General on whether the integration minister, Roger O'Gorman, has been supported enough by this government. Do stay with us we Welcome back. Well, an expert group advising government on ending direct provision is recommending state-built accommodation centres replace private accommodation for asylum seekers. The chair of that group, Dr Catherine Day, says there's an obvious need for an information campaign to engage with communities and the need to commit to extra resources for localities. Claire Brock began by asking Dr Day if she believed the government's approach to date to this issue of immigration had been mishandled.
2: Well, I don't think mishandled is the right word, but I think we, there has been a tendency to deal with it as an emergency issue. So uh, we don't have accommodation available in advance of people arriving. Maybe 200 people arrive and there's nowhere for them to go. So we have been advocating for some time that the state needs to move away from what it has been doing to date, which is a private sector approach. They uh, contract out the state responsibility to provide shelter to hotels and bed and breakfasts, etc. Uh, That is an expensive option and we think that the state now needs to invest in permanent centres. Permanent in the sense that they would be available all the time, but not permanent in that people would not stay there. Uh, We would like to see people getting a decision on whether or not they will be allowed to stay in Ireland within a matter of six months. And at the moment, it's taking at least over a year. But in relation specifically to protests which are happening
7: right around the country about the, the housing of international mm. protection applicants, as it now stands, without these state-run centres, which I know that you are strongly recommending in your report, do you believe an information campaign I- I- is needed around that? Or is there, is there somewhere the state could be going on
2: communicating this that would, would reassure people? I think there's an absolutely obvious need for an information campaign. Um, In your normal life, you don't know what the rules on asylum are. I mean, why would you need to know them? So the state needs to explain that when people apply for asylum, they are photographed, they are fingerprinted, they have to provide a lot of information. So they will be very traceable um, from the moment that they apply. Um people need to understand uh, on what basis are people allowed to stay in Ireland and what rights do they have and uh, I think that it's important to engage with communities um, very early on which means that because people will see if a center is being renovated, they will see if a a previously state-owned site is now being developed so why not tell them? Some people then might protest and object but I, I really believe that if the state explains what's happening and listens to people's concerns and if they're worried that the GP is already overstretched or there aren't enough teachers in the school provide them. It's not a huge expense to provide an extra teacher, an extra GP. But it would go a long way to helping people then welcome in people who we, we actually need. We have job vacancies, we, need, we have skills gaps. This could be, we could, we could have a much more positive environment for helping people to feel integrated if they are going to get permission to stay here.
7: Specifically, we hear language like unvetted male migrants. Um, you know, what would you say to people who say, Well, they're unvetted if they're coming in without documentation, Um, if groups of men are going to one particular location, they're not happy with that. Those concerns that we do hear about,
2: what would you say to those concerns? Well, first of all, as I've just explained, um, if you apply for asylum, you're photographed and fingerprinted. So uh, these people are then traceable. The Gardaí say that they have not had uh, problems with asylum seekers. There have been one or two fights between asylum seekers, but not with the general population. So I'm afraid to say I think that that is um, uh, misinformation, a trope on social media which is not borne out in reality. And if you can just imagine somebody applying for asylum, they will know if they step out of line that it will affect any positive decision on their application. So I don't believe that that will happen. And um, secondly, the Gardi and others have said, I mean, you cannot uh, tar with the brush uh, just uh, a group of men who who arrive. And in fact, sadly, all the violence against women that we see in this country is overwhelmingly by people that they know, people who are close to them. who have lived here all their lives so I think that that is misinformation and we must call it out and some of it is racist and that we we also should call out in in our modern society. There's been criticism
7: around the enforcement of deportations what's your assessment of it?
2: Well, um, I think it hasn't been the most active part of the policy up to now, to be quite honest. Um, I understand that um, uh, mostly people with deportation orders leave voluntarily. Now, there are volunteer return programmes where people can get a small amount of funding to go back to where they came from and re-establish themselves. Uh, That's a very small part of the programme. And I believe that others simply just leave the state, but not necessarily... With any kind of registration system that says they have left, so that's perhaps something that can be looked into if the system is faster, I think it will be easier to deport people, uh, but I do think that that it has to be part of the system. and um, I think the Irish people have to understand that the only people who can come here and get permission to stay are people we have decided uh, get permission to stay, that it's not enough just to land in Ireland and then you can be here. so I think that that side of the the policy. Is being looked at and needs to be looked at. The
7: Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, has said uh, that she will consider increasing fines for airlines Mm -hmm.
2: if passengers arrive without passports or official documents. Is that the correct approach? Well, I I think it's one of many, several different ways. So, yes, I think. And and because a lot of people come by plane or, or by boat, the same logic applies, that the controls need to be tighter. Do you see this issue as being a priority for government? I'd like to see it as a bigger priority, and we have been arguing as a group that um, there, there is a need for stronger coordination. Um, How do you view it at the moment, with Roderick O'Gorman at the helm? Um, if I'm perfectly honest, I think um, he, is, he deserves an enormous amount of credit. He's really trying to resolve this. But he doesn't have enough resources, and he doesn't have as strong a buy-in from other departments as is, would be needed to really get on top of this issue and to, to put a better performing uh, approach in place.
1: Claire Brock speaking to Dr Catherine Day earlier today. Well, Fine Gael's Regina Doherty, Crypt Media's John McGurk, journalist Alison O'Connor and professor of politics Gary Murphy have stayed with me. Come to you first, Gary, just to pick up on something uh, that um, Catherine Day said there in terms of Roderick O'Gorman. Has the government, and I mean Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, have they been too happy to allow Roderick O'Gorman to handle this issue? Has he been isolated, do you think?
6: I think the short answer is yes. I must uh, presage my remarks to say that I I hired a man in DCU uh, many years ago, he's a colleague of mine at the uh, School of Law and Government, so I know him very well. I know him as a dedicated uh, and decent uh, human who's trying his best, but is a bit overwhelmed by the uh, the work he has to uh, has to do. And uh, I mean, I know he came to uh, to office, and he's one of the few. I think it's only eight we've had uh, ministers uh, on their first day in the in the dol. Uh, him and Norma Foley in this uh, particular. Uh, government, I know he thinks direct provision is a stain on the conscience of the, the mm-hmm. state. Um, but he's working in uh, extremely difficult circumstances with a shortage of uh, resources. And Catherine Day, who I have tremendous uh, respect for, and uh, you know, one of the country's most distinguished uh, public mm-hmm. servants, But the idea that we that any government or this government can simply put in a new doctor or a few teachers in, whether it's Ross Cray or Cara Syveen, where I gave a talk a few months ago at a summer school and was told that the whole um, town had been completely uh, rejuvenated for the good. Uh, by, um, by Ukrainian refugees, um, who had made an extraordinary contribution, even helping as far as uh, in Kerry football, yeah. for, of all things. So, in that context, I think um, you know it, it, it's easy enough to say we, we should put more resources into to schools, uh, GPs, dentists all across the country, and of course we should, but uh, it, uh, it, it that will be a long-term process, I think.
1: Uh, speaking of long-term processes, we're also hearing that the government is going to perhaps uh, build or acquire these reception centres that will of enough accommodation for 4,000 um, asylum seekers. Given the response from local communities, so many of whom have voiced concerns, do you welcome that, John McGurr?
0: Um, just very quickly, just to say on the point of radical warming, because I think it's important, which is, is, I don't agree with you, Gary, um, I think the Minister for Health deals with the crisis every January in terms of hospital beds. Every other minister has stuff on their place. No other minister do we say, oh, he needs more support from the government. He's had almost unlimited financial resources. There have been no... no he
6: billion. hasn't had unlimited financial yeah. resources, the, John. You know that more than, than anyone else.
0: Billion spent, I think, in the last in the last two years on this. Uh, it was a very massive...
1: short, concentrated period of time for a person to try and uh, we'll, uh, accommodate we'll, a large number of people we'll, we'll agree in time agree of housing. We'll, housing we'll, we'll
6: Integration crosses a whole range we'll, of government we'll, departments. It's not simply health or education or transport. You know that as well.
0: We'll agree to disagree on, on on whether he's got enough support. But on the issue of, of, of reception centres, I think there's a couple of points to make. First of all, they're not a quick solution. I mean... With, I, I don't mean this as a particularly partisan cut, but this is a government that's been trying to build one children's hospital for the last 15 years. The idea that they're suddenly going to open six accommodation centres with accommodation for 4,000 people. Well, they might me, acquire a few, then they might not have as, to build as them. Just, well, it's yeah, just a little bit far-fetched. If they're, if, they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're existing facilities, then I imagine they'll run into the same issues that the commercial ventures have been having. But secondly, the more fundamental question is, what happens when they're full? Because, I mean, we have bed for, uh, as yeah, Jesus said, we build more. Um, so the problem here is the unlimited demand, because 4,000 is not going to go far enough to cover even the projected uh, incomings for this year, based on what Roderick Gorman said at the beginning OK,
1: the of let me just let Regine in on that, so because, because Rodica Gorman said, w- said the projected... The, what's the functional should limitation 15,000, he said, was the new normal, and yet think? we're looking at accommodation for 4,000. Will that be sufficient? So Can I just say two things? First of all, Catherine Day is a rocket sense,
5: and she's just reiterated what Gary said before the break. Um, the fact that people don't know the rules or how it functions isn't their fault, it's our fault fault. And we, we have to take that on board and we have to do something about it and do something about it soon. Uh, I don't agree with Gary when he says that uh, the Minister hasn't been given the resources. First of all, he is the Minister for Integration. John, I hate to say I'm actually agreeing with John McGurk, but like, there's nobody helping the Maybe Minister for Social Protection do her job. He's, he's doing his job, and I, I agree with Gary, he's doing it incredibly well. But he is getting support from the OPW, from the Minister for Education, from the Minister for Justice. All you have to do is look at the resources that have been put into the iPod system that have turned around decisions from years to now getting decisions in weeks. And John, we do need reception centres. I was never one of the people years ago that said we should get rid of direct provision and give everybody their own front door. Oh, we right. need reception centres for the four thousand people that will get decisions every ten or twelve weeks, either to stay and then move on with their lives, or leave because they get the deportations. Okay. And we look should build them and it should be
2: a
1: permanent weeks. We're going to have to leave it we to there for now, but I'm we sure we'll employ will.
5: the people to do it. So, so you turn could to this to topic.
1: Um thanks to John, to Regina, to Alison and to Gary uh, for joining us this evening up next. We want to get the very latest. Latest on that drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers, and then countries we hear are to withdraw funding from UNRWA, a move that could be catastrophic for the people of Gaza. We'll bring you the very latest on both of those stories. So do join us after this short break. You're very welcome back. Well, the US has condemned a drone attack on an American base in Jordan in which three US soldiers were killed. Speaking at a press conference this evening, US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken warned against anyone trying to take advantage of the hostile situation in the Middle East. Well, earlier I spoke with senior security lecturer at the University of Bath, former NATO analyst Patrick Burry, and I asked, started by asking him just how significant this attack was.
8: I don't think we're heading towards World War III imminently as a result of the death of three uh, U.S. soldiers. It's more of the package of what's been going on and the way that Iran has been targeting the U.S. in the wake of the October the 7th attacks in Israel. Uh, and there's been over 180 attacks, if you include the Red Sea attacks on U.S. personnel and uh, ships, essentially. So um, the drumbeat in that way is, is, is worrying. But I think if you listen to the press conference that Secretary Blinken has just come out of. And his words there were really quite um, telling. First of all, he said, we do not want an escalation with Iran. So, they're very clearly giving Iran a way out of this. Uh, And secondly, they said their response will be multi-staged, multi-level and sustained. So, I think there will be a response, and it will come exactly like Blinken said, over uh, over a period, and probably targeting both militias and potentially other Iranian uh, interests and assets around the region.
1: But there have been previous attacks on troops in that region, and there have been airstrikes launched by the Americans on Iranian militants, and they haven't acted as a deterrent, quite clearly. So will this response have to be different
8: it, yes, I think it will be different here. To be honest with you, I think as they said, there's there's an issue that they need to sort out through diplomacy at the moment, and they want to give the chance for the Iranians to back down and reel their proxies in. Um, there's also this issue about the uh, hopefully a, a pause, a long pause or a ceasefire in Gaza, which would take some of the oxygen which is fanning the flames in the in the region out, and it would allow, for example, if the Houthis, are, as they say in their own narrative, they're attacking these boats because of what's going on. In in uh, in, is, uh, in Israel and Gaza in particular. Um, and if the, uh, the militias are also attacking U.S. troops as a result of that, if you manage to dumb, dumb that down, dampen it down, well, then the the raison d'etre for keeping attacking U.S. troops would, you would think, in theory, at least uh, diminish, if not, if it completely stop the attack. So I think they're working that very hard. And then I think the, the other option, the military option, will be queued, uh, which will come after that, I think.
1: In terms of the forthcoming elections, how much are they playing on Joe Biden's mind in terms of how he frames the response to this attack?
8: I think really the problem is that Joe Biden's foreign policy, and you know, I'm I'm, a fan, I'm no fan of Donald Trump here, like, but uh, Joe Biden's. Uh, Foreign policy at the start of his term was about essentially keeping the status quo in uh, around Russia, around the Middle East, uh, and then focusing on on China. And all of those, that foreign policy needed a containment strategy. and that hasn't worked in Russia. In fact, it's you know the events of have uh, flipped it over, and the same in the Middle East. And I think the question for the Biden administration as it goes into this election year is what is your Iran strategy? Where are your red lines? What are you going to do? Because as you mentioned, some of these attacks, these tit-for-tat attacks and bombing militia, the message is not getting through, in particular to the Iranian—sorry, uh, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, which is the one that are driving all these proxies. It's not getting through. They think Biden's weak. They think the West is on a losing streak after Afghan and Iraq, uh, and their power is on the up in the region. So. Uh, it's probably time to to start to look at what is really going on at the strategic level, and that's some closer coordination certainly between Russia and Iran, authoritarian regimes, North Korea as well. China kind of sitting on the fence, but looking like it might go that way too. Uh, and the West is going to have to start to realise that the the post-war order that we a lot of us grew up in, safe, we were clearly in the ascendance, uh, is is over, and um, it's it's a more risky world out there and we have to bandy together. I don't think yet we're at the stages of World War III, but it will be historians looking backwards who uh, will be able to call that more easily than I.
1: Well, concern has been expressed for Palestinian refugees following the decision of nine countries to withdraw funding from UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency in Palestine, after allegations emerged that some agency staff were involved in the October 7th attack by Hamas. On Israel. For more on this situation, I'm joined by former spokesperson from UNRWA, Chris Guinness. Chris, you're very welcome to the programme. This was 12 so much. staff, these allegations have been made against uh, amongst a workforce of 13,000 people. What do you make of the decision of those countries to cut funding uh, from the organisation? Well,
9: Well, to be clear, there are are 12 former staff, nine who are alive, have been dismissed, separated, no going back, Um, two are missing, and one is dead. And yet, in spite of that, UNRWA has proactively, as part of its robustly implemented zero-tolerance policy, separated these people from the agency... Even before the investigation, which has now been escalated to New York, the Office of Internal Oversight, even before that had barely got starting on its work, before the results of that investigation have been known, UNRWA has separated those. And to be clear, we're talking about 12 rotten apples in a staff of 13,000 people in Gaza who are working amid these the dropping bombs, determined to deliver humanitarian assistance. For them, it's a question of cometh the hour. And for them, this is the hour. Many are utterly, utterly furious that a few rotten apples have sullied the reputation of the agency, and they're quite angry that, frankly, their humanitarian work is under threat because of this uh, withdrawal, the suspension um, of aid. But to be very clear, the people who will suffer are the women, the children, the mothers coming in with the newborn to get food, to get water, mattresses. The women need sanitary products. I mean, it's appalling, the people who are going to suffer. It will be the most disadvantaged, the people who are living amongst the rubble. And that's why it's so sad, really, that this this action has been taken. Um, But to be clear, UNRWA has a zero tolerance policy, and I think the donors have to realise that coming forward. Ireland certainly does. Irish aid was 8 million euros consistently until last year when it went to 18 million because Ireland, thank goodness, realises that UNRWA's human development work across the region is inimical to peace.
1: Um, what do you make of the language that came out of the European Commission today that said no additional funding will be granted to UNRWA until the end of February and then they will be reviewing the funding to the organisation? Do you understand that approach?
9: Look, I think it's regrettable that the the donor community has not realized the seriousness with which UNRWA takes this issue, hence the action. But I also think that UNRWA is very serious about a long and lasting and mature relationship with its donors, particularly a large donor like the European Commission. And we are absolutely, UNRWA is absolutely determined to make it quite clear to the taxpayers across the the European Union and to the officials themselves that this is a good investment, that UNRWA has a track record in neutrality, that it stands by, it's worth investing in. And that's why, UNRWA is saying, let's put this decision behind us. We have to make sure that that aid is resumed. Anthony Blinken, by the way, breaking news tonight, has been saying, the penny perhaps is dropping there, that UNRWA's role is unique. UNRWA is indispensable, is the word he used. And so maybe after the panic, about the interestingly timed release of this information just after the ICJ ruling, maybe the donors are beginning to wake up that, frankly, there is no alternative All right. to unre- 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 Sorry, please.
1: Sorry, I have to cut across you there. Chris Guinness, thank you for your contribution this evening. That's it from us here. The uh, late team says thank you, good night, and take care. See you tomorrow.